depending on when you were born, that is going to influence the way you think your body should look. You're listening to Confidently She. Let's gently cleanse that internalized misogyny and equip you to handle what life brings your way. I'm Rebecca Biggie, and I'm here to help. Welcome to the show. All right, here we are back again. I'm Rebecca Biggie. This is Confidently She. Before we get into this episode, I have to ask, how much water have you had today? Listen, I know I ask you this a lot, but every single day, your body needs a few things. It needs rest. It needs a lot more water than you think. It needs movement. It needs nourishment. It's like taking care of your body really well is like a part-time job. You you need to dedicate time and effort and, and resources into taking care of yourself. And when you do that, it is actually a lot easier to appreciate and love your body because you you realize like there's a lot that goes into taking care of this thing. And when I don't take care of it, I end up kind of feeling like crap, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally. But when I do take care of my body, I I feel lighter. I feel more positive just in general. So grab a glass of water. Let's get into this. This episode is cool. I'm excited about this episode because we're talking about generational ideas of body image. When we're thinking about our body, we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to think that the the way we want to look is how everyone wants to look. We're very self-focused in in this way and in a lot of other ways as well. But we we get really specific, we get really individualized to think you know, the things that I want are the things that everyone wants. And it's kind of a selfish mentality. It's an egocentric mentality to think that, you know, everybody wants what you want. The things that you like are what everybody should like or everybody does like. But when it relates to body image, this creates an interesting thought pattern. It creates an interesting lens through which you can view your current expectations of your body. And when you compare that to expectations that women have had of themselves over the past hundred years, then you get more sample data to look at and to see, okay, how did other women hold themselves to these standards and what standards did they expect of themselves? You start to see this is all different. It's not like women have been held to the same standard for the past 100 years, 200 years, and we're all working towards the same goal. No. Depending on when you were born, that is going to influence the way you think your body should look. If you grew up during the 70s. Okay, so you're like pretty old. <laughs> maybe not you, maybe like, you know, your mom or I don't know. Um, but let's say just for the sake of argument, you grew up during the 70s or during the 80s. You're going to think that having having like a big chest, right? Having like big boobs, okay? 
is is the thing that's going to make you feminine, the thing that's going to make you attractive. People were really into, you know, boobs in the 70s and the 80s or whatever, okay? It was like really thin, but then you've got this like great rack, okay? That's what was considered feminine and attractive and whatever. Then as you started getting more into like the 80s, maybe early 90s, it was like really, really thin, and more athletic, right? Like think of those exercise videos from like the 80s. So when my mom was in college, she, you know, that you wanted to be so thin, but you wanted to have some like muscle definition, right? So think of those like 80s exercise workout videos. Think of Olivia Newton-John in Greece. That came out in 1978. So that was heading into the 80s. Kind of like that type of body type was considered attractive. As you go forward into the 90s, it gets much, much thinner. This is when models like Kate Moss, uh, Twiggy, right? If you remember growing up watching America's Next Top Model, okay, this is Twiggy, right? Like she was literally a twig. That's why they called her that. And it was just like real thin, like as thin as possible. That's like the 90s. That's what you wanted to look like, right? So if you grew up during the 90s, if you were in college, I'll say, during the 90s, you're thinking the thinner I am, the better. Like I, I need to be thin at all costs. This is where these women going into the 2000s and when we got the internet and when things like Pinterest and Instagram came around, like thinspo, lots of anorexia happening and being diagnosed in the early 2000s because of these weight ideals established during the 90s. Because then going into the 2000s, it was, do you have abs? Like, like in the 2000s, if you were in college in, you know, 2007, whatever, it was these low rise jeans with, you know, abs and, and, you know, having a little bit of a butt was like starting to be a thing, more of a focus on like legs though. The 80s and 90s were more about legs than anything else. So do you have long legs? Do you have muscular legs? Do you have toned legs? You know, the um, the Baywatch decade um, is kind of what the leg decade was all about. And then it went into the baby got back, okay? <laughs> so Sir Mix-a-Lot came on the scene. And it's so interesting to see how media, art music influences culture. It really, really does. I think this song was a big turning point for a lot of our beauty standards. I mean, it came out 1992 and over the next decade or two really gained traction. You know, it was going against the current beauty standards, which was, you know, being really thin, right? But now in in the last decade of 2010 until right now, it's been back to like the hourglass figure, but almost in a an exaggerated way. So if you look back into what was considered, you know, beautiful and attractive in the 1950s, it was kind of the hourglass figure, right? But they didn't have Brazilian butt lift surgeries back then. They didn't have implant surgeries back then. So you couldn't make it more exaggerated. But now what we see in, you know, 2010 heading into 2020 here is, okay, it's an exaggerated 
hourglass figure is is the expectation. And if you don't have an ass, you may as well not be a woman. Like that's what that is. It's all about the ass. And this just shows depending on the decade that you grew up in, depending on the decade that you went to college in, I'll say, because growing up is one thing, but then once you really start to like try to get the attention of guys or try to like be attractive as a woman, that's kind of starts to happen in college, a little bit of high school. That's going to influence what you think your body should look like because not everyone right now is is really attracted to the current beauty standard because these standards change. So think about the expectations that you're holding yourself to and what standard does it line up with? Does it line up with what was considered attractive when you were in college? Does it line up with what's considered attractive now? Are you someone who your expectations for your body are also changing over the decades? Because for me, what ended up happening was my body changed, right? As all bodies do, by the way, like it's a normal, natural thing for it to happen. As my body changed getting out of college, I, I put on maybe like 10 pounds, okay? So it wasn't even like a huge change. But I realized, you know, my adult body is probably going to look different from my high school body, from my adolescent body. And while I didn't develop these, you know, like huge boobs or <laughs> anything like major didn't change about the way that my figure looks, it's okay for me to carry more weight on my body as a full-grown adult than as a child. That's the conversation I had to have with myself and realize, listen, Rebecca, I know that you grew up having this really thin, stick skinny body that everybody complimented you on, right? You were a size double zero for a long time, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, you went up to like regular sizes, whatever. But you were a child back then. You were a child when you were 15. I know that kids are really independent. Like, you know, I had a cell phone and I felt like, you know, oh, I couldn't go do whatever. I had a job or whatever, but I was a kid. You're a kid. You're a kid until you're like 20. <laughs> so you can't be comparing your adult body to your child body. But I did that because my child body fit the beauty standard of the time, which was wear these ridiculously low-rise jeans and have like abs and get really tan and, you know, have stick straight hair with your little glitter belt and your white puffer vest from Abercrombie and Fitch. That's what I did. That's what I looked like. And I was freaking rocking it. But once I fully hit puberty and I developed some hips and an ass, I was like, oh my God, am I fat now? Am I not attractive anymore? Do I need to lose weight? Like I don't I don't weigh the same as I did in high school. And it's just like, yeah, no no kidding, Rebecca. <laughs> of course you don't weigh the same as you did in high school. Of course. You were a child then. 
But what happens is we create these expectations for ourselves based on what we see in magazines, what's what's praised, right? Like some people will use it as like, oh, I I still fit into the same jeans I did in 10th grade. Cool. That's actually kind of weird. Like, really? Like you're, you haven't grown or changed at all since you were a child? Like I don't want the body of a child. But culture in that time period said, you should have the body of a child as a woman. You should have no hips. You should have very, very little body fat. And yeah, that's what we want from you. But I had to challenge that and realize, you know what? That's not healthy. That's not normal. My body as a full-grown adult should be different. I should wear bigger clothes. And that's not a failure on my part. Wearing bigger clothes after you graduate from high school or even graduate from college, that's not a failure. That's like, oh, I'm an adult and the expectations of my body are going to be different. I also didn't have as much time to be like running around doing things. Like when I was in college, I was always on the go. But when I transitioned into an office job, I was more settled. So it made sense that if I ate the same amount and didn't move around the same amount, I would gain some weight. And I did. That was also during a period of my life where I was very sad. So I've since lost that weight because I worked through the things that were weighing me down emotionally. And then I stopped using food as my only source of comfort during that time. And then my body adjusted to that. And now I'm at a really good body weight equilibrium with how I move myself, how I feed myself, the rest I get, the water I drink, shout out to water. Like I'm in a really good place and I don't know how much I weigh. I don't fit the beauty standard from 2010 or from 2007. I don't fit the the beauty standard, the body standard of 2021 either. I I don't. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. When you look back at what has been expected from women over the past 100 years, the expectation keeps changing. So why logically, why would I chase an expectation that is based in nothing and going to change in 15 years anyway. I fit the body standard in high school. I fit it. It was great. Now, I don't. And I had to work through that idea of like, this body standard is made up. It's not real. I'm not talking about like the bodies you see are not real. Sometimes they're not real. Yeah, of course. If people are getting surgeries and implants, that's not real. But also the expectation isn't based on anything. It's not like if you have this type of body, you are the healthiest. That's not true. I mean, the Olympics are going on right now, right? And you see all of these different Olympic athletes, the best at what they do. Are they the healthiest? I don't know. That's probably a different podcast episode. But they they have trained their body to be optimal at performing whatever it is that they do with their sport. And all these different people, if you line them up, 
are they going to look the same? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The body of a swimmer is different from the body of a shot put track and field competitor. The body of a tennis player is going to be different from the body of a power lifter. Okay? I mean, badminton is an Olympic sport now. Like, they, they've got people being excellent in all different ways, using their body in all different ways, and they look different. So who's to say that one is better than the other? My question is, better for what? Better for what? More attractive? Maybe today. Maybe to you. But not to everyone and not forever. So if it's not to everyone and it's not forever, why would I waste time, energy, attention, money on trying to change something that was specifically designed for me? My body was specifically designed for me. Your body was specifically designed for you. And when you start to mess with that, you start to mess with your purpose, with your identity, because let's say you are supposed to be a really great athlete in in one certain category, but you really wanted to be something else. And so you forced yourself to be something else. You got different surgeries. You got different, you know, d- did different things to fundamentally change your body to be something else, to fit the, the beauty standard, the body standard that you grew up in. You're missing out on the thing that you're naturally gifted to do. If I wanted to be a pole vaulter, I would have to really work against my natural body composition in order to make that work. I have no upper body strength. I've got a big old booty, heavy thighs. Like overall, I'm not a heavy person, but like I carry my weight in the lower half of me. How would I become a pole vaulter? Not going to happen. Possible. But why would I work against my natural composition when I can work with my natural composition to go in a different direction? My thighs, my legs, my butt helped me run my marathon. I did that. Instead of having the idea of this is what I want for my life, this is what I want for my body, I looked at my body and said, what should I do with this? All right, you're tall. You've got like strength on the bottom and, you know, not a whole lot going on on top. What do I do with this? That's the better way to go. Well, you know, when you're when you're baking, there are two ways to bake something. You can sit there and think, "What do I want to make?" I need to get all these different ingredients. I need to learn how to make this, blah, blah, blah. Or you can look at the ingredients that you already have at home and be like, okay, what can I make with this? And that's that's what your body is. It's what can I make with this? Because it's going to take a lot more time, energy, and effort to change what I have into something completely different than it is to harness and improve and perfect and use what I already have going for me. 
Hey, it's Rebecca, and I know sometimes living inside a woman's body feels like a lot of pressure because whether you choose to show skin or not show skin, everybody's got an opinion about what it is you're wearing, which is why I made the Showing Skin Workshop. It is a workshop to go through how to think about the types of clothes you wear, how you present yourself to the world, and do that in a way that is rooted in confidence and security and not seeking validation. So if you want more information about what is inside this workshop, go to showingskinworkshop.com, read all about it. You can complete the workshop in one afternoon. It is amazing. Go to showingskinworkshop.com and I will see you there, my friend. So that's what I did with with being attractive as well. I was like, okay, well, you know, you're never going to be the woman with like big boobs and whatever. Like that's not going to be you. You're not going to be the girl with skinny legs and big boobs. Like that's kind of what I thought that I needed to be. I'm like, but what can you be? What can you be? You can be the woman who's like a little bit a little bit like Audrey Hepburn, you know, thin, but then you've got this butt, you know, like you've got these hips, like what, what's going on with that? Why don't you focus on that and then focus on accentuating and kind of like playing with these other elements that while they may not be exactly what you want them to be, they can be feminine and beautiful when you understand them. So with my little A cup boobs, I don't even know what like cup size I am anymore because I don't really wear bras, but I wear like bralettes, okay? So these like lace, cute bralettes, I don't try to make up for anything that my body, quote, lacks anymore. I support and I play and I display exactly what my body is. And that is expressing yourself in genuine femininity. Because let me tell you, I feel sexier now than I ever did when I was wearing these Victoria's Secret bombshell bras trying to make it look like I had these like huge tits when I just don't. Like that's the other thing that it's like, really? You're going you're gonna to lie about the way your body looks? Why? Eventually, people are going to figure it out. Like, eventually, people are going to know. And with the whole like surgery thing, like permanently changing your body, I think that is it's anti feminist, first of all, because only people with the means to afford those types of surgeries can have them. And then you're leaving other women without those means behind. You're leaving them behind. You are now raising expectations to something that's unrealistic and unattainable unless you have money. So now this not only becomes a problem with beauty standards, it's a problem of access. It's an economic access problem because if only the wealthy can afford to be beautiful, then it just creates even more of a gap between the wealthy and um, underprivileged members of society. That's why it's not a feminist decision, in my opinion. That's why I'm never getting plastic surgery. 
ever. And that's why I think that it's, um, it is short-sighted to make those decisions. Feminism is not doing whatever you want that makes you happy as a woman. It, it can't be doing whatever you want without thinking about the consequences for yourself or other people. Because the standard you're trying to conform to was handed down to you by someone else. Unless you're getting reconstructive surgery to actually fix like a, a deformity in your face, like fine, you know, that, that, that's different. But it's like if you just don't like the shape of your nose or you just want your boobs to be bigger, that's different. And you know it's different, right? Like, you know, in your heart, in your motivations, why you're doing something. And you can lie to yourself all you want. But at the end of the day, you know. And if you don't know, you got to figure it out before you do it. <laughs> because you might be chasing this ideal, this beauty, this body type standard that was given to you while you were not even aware what was happening when you were young, when you weren't conscious of things like beauty standards, of things like body ideals. And so if you haven't done the work to reflect on why you're doing what you're doing, you shouldn't make big permanent decisions with your body. I mean, I at a time wanted to get my birthmark removed. I've got this big red birthmark under my left boob. And I was like, yikes. That's not attractive. That's a deformity, right? That's an abnormality that I could have totally justified in like, no, I need to get it removed. Like it's it's gross and da 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 da. But I didn't. And now it's something that like actually guys find really sexy. It's weird. <laughs> not that that's what I was going for or that's the goal, but it's like when you own something different about your body, when you own it and you're like comfortable with it and you don't even like think twice about it, it becomes this like iconic thing about you that then other people like. Like I went on this date and I had like a crop top on and this guy was like, oh, is what's on? Is that a birthmark on your stomach? I thought maybe it was like a tattoo or something. And I was like, oh no, yeah, it's a birthmark. And he's like, oh, he's like, that's kind of sexy. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> Okay, cool. But again, like I, I don't care. Like even that is the thing that it's like I'm not gonna fetishize my own birthmark and be like, yeah, this is what makes me so sexy. It's like when you're confident and comfortable in your body, you're just not thinking about your body. You're not thinking about your birthmark. You're not thinking about your boobs. You're not thinking about any of that. You're just enjoying yourself. And that's where I want you to get. That's what is possible. That's what happens when you go through the eight stages of the body confidence playbook, my method to healing yourself from body insecurities, from comparison, from self-criticism, all that stuff. The end, the last step is joy. You get to have joy. Step seven or six, I don't remember, is peace. We are working our way towards peace, joy, and setting boundaries on that so that people don't come in and mess with it. And the way you get there is through unpacking all these influences on why you think your body is wrong, 
things about your body you think you have to change before you will ever be confident or accepted or whatever, or things about your body that you never want to change, that you feel like you have to control, that you have to maintain, all of that. Guess what? You don't have to control it. You don't have to maintain it. Your body's built to maintain itself and to keep itself healthy. Your job is to support that, right? Like I said at the beginning, drink water, get rest, nourish yourself, move your body, hug somebody, grow some plants, you know, like be healthy, but don't overdo it. And deconstruct, cleanse yourself from this internalized misogyny, from these generational body type expectations that you definitely have that are definitely influencing you. And you need to make sure that you're intentional about where your expectations for your body come from and how to make sure they're healthy, realistic, and supporting your natural body. Because your natural body is pretty great. That's what I have for you for this episode on generational ideas of body image. I hope you enjoy this. Go ahead and take a screenshot, share this to your Instagram story, tag me in it so I can see it. And that's what I have for you, my queen. I will talk to you again soon. Hey, everybody, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I want to give an extra special thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review of this show over on iTunes. That means so much to me. So I want to extend a very special thank you. And I will see you again in another episode. 